So Matthew chapter 21, verse 23, and page 989 in our Pew Bibles. This is God's word to us. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? So they discussed it amongst themselves and they said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, we're afraid of the people for they hold that John was a prophet. So they answered to Jesus, we don't know. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority am I doing these things. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons and he went to the first and he said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father father went to the other son and he said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and he put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and he went away on a journey. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. And the tenants seized his servants, and they beat one, killed another, and they stoned a third. He sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them in the same way. And last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw his son, they said to one another, this is the heir, come, let us kill him, let us take this inheritance. So they took him. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. He will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the share of his crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. And they looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Amen. And God will bless the reading of his word to us. Well, let's uh, take our Bibles and turn to Matthew 21, those verses that we read earlier, page 989, if you've got one of the Pew Bibles. 
Matthew 21. One of the things that you'll sometimes hear people say as they talk about the world that we're living in today is that there's much less respect for authority than there used to be. Older people say that especially, don't they? They remember the days when certain people commanded great authority within society, doctors and teachers and policemen. And yet today, society seems to be at a place where that authority is very largely eroded. I was in Belfast on, on Thursday and uh, walking past a, a young teenager who was on his way to one of the Belsonic uh, acts, I'm sure. He was fairly well oiled by the time he'd got there. And he was arguing energetically with a policeman about why he should be allowed to uh, do some things that were completely inappropriate for him to do in the streets of Belfast. And I walked past and I thought, that would never have happened in my day. I must be getting on a wee bit myself. And yet, while, while undoubtedly there's a, a change in people's attitudes to maybe more traditional authority structures, the reality is we cannot get away from authority because all of us look to some authority by which we make the decisions that we make in our lives and by which we live our lives. Kevin DeYoung makes this point really, really well in this quote. He says, whether we realize it or not, we all give someone or something the last word. Our parents, our culture, our community, our feelings, the government, peer-reviewed journals, opinion polls, impressions, or a holy book. Kevin DeYoung's saying, we cannot help but be people who live by authority. The question is, what authority do we live under? Who do we look to? What do we look to to have the last word within our lives? Well, the question of authority is, is addressed in our passage this morning. The religious leaders raise it with Jesus. They say, by what authority are you doing these things? And Jesus turns the question on them and says to them effectively, you must be people who live under God's authority. And that's the, the crucial question for us all. By what authority do we live by? And are we going to submit to God's authority? The, the context of all of this is Holy Week. Uh, very often we miss these parts of the Bible because at Easter we tend to look at the triumphal entry, Jesus coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And then we skip over everything that's happened and we get to the resurrection the following Sunday uh, on Easter Sunday. And, and yet in between, the gospels slow down and they tell us lots about what happens during that week. The events that we're reading off here take place on the Tuesday of Holy Week. Jesus enters Jerusalem on the Sunday. On the Monday, he cleanses the temple. And then on the Tuesday, he's in the temple, the temple courtyard. The temple courtyard, remember, was a very large area and he finds himself in dispute with the religious leaders there, especially the chief priests and the elders of the people, as verse 23 says. It says they come and they raise this question with him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? Now, the sort of 
question of authority was really important to Jewish people, Jewish leaders. They valued authority. Jewish teachers would have quoted other teachers that had gone before them to establish that they were acting in a particular stream of authority. And the length of the training of these religious leaders bolstered their sense of authority. But, but then the question comes, well, what about Jesus? He sort of come, came out of nowhere. He didn't study for, for years like some of them had, and he didn't quote others. In fact, one of his hallmark phrases was, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He, he almost seemed to be acting as if he was his own authority. So they ask this question, where does your authority come from? Now, of course, they, they were really attempting to trap him because if he said something outrageous like, my authority comes from who I am or from my heavenly Father, then they would have uh, had him on some trumped-up charge. Now, Jesus eventually makes those claims very clearly, but he's not ready to do that yet. And so, he turns the question on them, and he asks them about John the Baptist. Where did his authority come from? Well, they couldn't answer that because reading makes it very clear. If they say it's from God, then why didn't they follow him? Why didn't they believe him? But if they say it's from men, they will enrage the people who believe he's a prophet. So they say, we don't know. Little aside here gives us a really helpful insight into human nature and the difference between what is in the heart and what we say from our mouths. Because we might hear people say, maybe some of us say this ourselves, uh, we might hear people say, when it comes to the existence of God, do you know what, I just don't really know. When, when it comes to the truthfulness of Christianity, the claims of Jesus Christ, I, I don't really know. I, I'm sort of agnostic about all of that. Now, there are, of course, people who, who genuinely wrestle with questions on their journey to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're in that position, keep going. We'll help you with that in whatever way we can. But sometimes that little phrase, I don't know, is just used to cover up something that actually we do know, but we don't want to admit. And that was the case with these people. They did know that John had came, come from God, but they couldn't admit it even to themselves, never mind Jesus. Remember what happens to Adam and Eve, whenever they sin in the garden, they hide from God. They know that He is there, and yet they hide from Him. And people have been doing that ever since. We've been doing that ever since. We don't want to face God, and one of the ways that we hide from Him is by saying, I don't know. I don't even know that you can know. I'm agnostic about that. Well, now that, that Jesus has them on the back foot, he begins to press them, and he tells them a number of parables over the next uh, couple of chapters, and we're going to look at the first two today, and they both really deal with these questions of authority. Uh, he, he, he points to them, first of all, and says, God's authority is something that has to be submitted to, because he begins to tell them this story of uh, two sons with a father, a story that could be easily identified with. Man has two sons, and he says to the first one, go and work in the vineyard today. Vineyard, obviously, a bit of a symbol for Israel, and so it was going to catch their attention. 
And at first, he refuses. I will not, he says. And then he cools down. Maybe he feels a little bit guilty. And he decides to do as the father asks. The second son, when he is asked, says, sure, I'll go. And he never gets round to it. Now, if some of you are parents, you might recognize this sort of pattern within some of your children. One of them says, oh, absolutely, I'll do it. Never tidies their room ever. Other ones say, no, I'm not doing that. But actually, the room ends up tidy somehow. Well, well, Jesus asks, which one is actually the obedient son? Which one submits to the will of the Father? And the leaders have to admit, it's the one who eventually did it even though he said he wouldn't. Now, Jesus is probably looking straight at them as he's, as he's saying this because he's telling them about themselves. They are like the second son. They are all words. They're all good intentions. To the casual observer, they look like the obedient child, but they never actually get round to doing what the father wants. Jesus especially points out their reaction to John the Baptist. They didn't accept God's messenger, John the Baptist, even though others did. Tax collectors and prostitutes, people that they felt they were much better than, they accepted John's message. They turned their lives around. But these leaders wouldn't. And now you see, here they are standing in front of Jesus. They're really doing exactly the same thing again. He is the ultimate messenger from the Father who's in front of them. They have seen others believe in him. They've seen others proclaim him to be the Messiah, even that week. But they will not. They will not abandon their self-reliance and their belief in themselves to turn to believe in Jesus. And Jesus is making the point that though they may seem like obedient children, they are actually the rebellious children. They're not doing what God wants. They're not submitting to his authority. Now, one of the reasons the Bible is continually relevant is that we're just like the people who are in it. Oh, we're different in so many ways. We've got so many different cultural things around us, so many different outlooks on life and so on. But the human heart, especially the way the heart relates to God, is absolutely the same. And so we can look at this parable and we can see these same reactions to Jesus today, maybe even in ourselves. Because Jesus is describing in his parable upright people, maybe religious people, people respected by others, people who look as if they're doing the right thing, and yet when it comes down to it, there's no heart obedience to God. It's only words. And in particular, there's no accepting of the one who has come from the Father. And just as Jesus suggests with them they see other people coming to see Christ, but it doesn't make them believe themselves. They say, oh, that's okay for them. They've really messed up their lives. They need a new start, but not me. I'm doing okay. Maybe some of us recognize that. We've, we've seen other people come to Jesus, and yet we, we sit here today and we say, well, that's okay for them, but I don't need that. And we're just like the son in the parable then who says, yes, yes, but doesn't do anything about it. Maybe we think we will at some stage, but that day doesn't come. You see, Jesus is saying, 
God's authority, His call upon your life and my life needs to be submitted to really and genuinely. That means believing in the one that He has sent, not just submitting in a way that looks acceptable to others, but in a way that is real and genuine before God. Well, what if we don't? You see, these men that Jesus spoke to were in the wrong. They weren't submitting to God's authority, but they had, at this point, received a great kindness from God in that these things were pointed out to them. It it, it is a mercy to hear the truth when we're in the wrong, isn't it? Imagine that we were were in a a, a building that was starting to be on fire. Do you remember, you've you've seen some of these awful reports from the, the Grenfell Tower fire how some of the the fire service went and and disobeyed the orders that they were getting at that moment and told the people to leave, even though the the, the proper uh, advice at the time was supposed to be to stay and let the fire service sort it out. Wouldn't you be grateful today that someone had come and told you the truth? We cannot contain this. You must leave this building. It's a mercy to be told the truth, no matter how inconvenient it might be. And that's what was happening with these people. They were being told the truth, partly so that they would be uncovered in their rebellion, but partly also that they may have opportunity to turn around. But it doesn't bring any indication of change. And so Jesus presses on with another parable and warns them of the consequences of their rebellion. Resisting God's authority is futile. That's the second thing. God's authority must not be resisted. This is a well-known parable, the second parable of the tenants. A master has a vineyard. He goes away and rents it out to tenants. It was very common in the ancient world. And when the time comes for the harvest, the master begins to send servants to collect the rent. It's clearly a proportion of the harvest. But of the tenants, it says, he beat one, he killed another, and stoned another. These tenants were, were sure that the master was getting nothing of what they had done. And the master eventually makes a bold move. He sends his son saying they'll respect him. But they don't. They recognize the son. They see it as an opportunity for further rebellion and independence, and they kill him. And you can see what Jesus is saying here. We are are tenants with remarkable privileges. Particularly these people had been given a, a fully functioning vineyard. The master had been generous to them. They'd been given every opportunity, and yet they exploit this generosity to their own ends, and they kill the son. The rebellion's remarkable. Now, as, as, you, as you hear the parable, you're meant to, to see how foolish these tenants are. You're meant to think, can't they see that they owe the master? Can't they, they, they see that, that they will never get off with this. It's obvious what's going to happen. They're facing a terrible consequence. And sure enough, even whenever Jesus asks the religious leaders what's going to happen, he says in, in verse 40, they will, he will bring, verse 41, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. And he'll rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at the harvest time. They know how this story should end. You see, the logic of the parable is that judgment is coming. 
Now, now what Jesus is, is doing, you see, is pointing out to them again their failure, these religious leaders, their failures as the leaders of God's covenant people. They, they, they are rebelling against God. But actually, on a broader scale, it's true of all people, isn't it? God, generous to us. He gives us a wonderful world, and yet we take his generosity and we exploit it. And we use our freedom to escape any vestige of his authority. We, 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 as Rico Tice says, we, we take the gifts and we ignore the giver. Isn't that right? And yet this parable shows us that we are accountable, how foolish it is to, to live as if we can do that forever. The, the truth is, you, these, these people still owe the rent, and this master will not rest until he gets it. You see, man, mankind is accountable to God, and that's what we need to take on board. We, we, we might live our own life as if we, we are accountable to no one, and yet we are accountable to the one who has made us and the one who has gifted us in so many ways, and we will have to give an account not least with what we've done with the offer of salvation in Christ. You've seen over these last few weeks that the Presbyterian Church as a whole has been in the headlines. The decisions made at the General Assembly a couple of weeks ago about what a credible profession was have come in for lots of criticism in the press. And, and some of us, I, I know, picking up from the conversations that we've had, have, have been really quite surprised at the strength of the reaction uh, because the church wasn't really saying anything new or different. Why, why the strength for reaction why, when some people didn't even have any particular interest in the issue? Well, ultimately, because I think we really dislike as a society being reminded that human beings are accountable, that it's not up to us to make our own rules. We're not free just to do as our conscience dictates, to do what seems right in our own eyes. We are accountable to the landowner, the one who gave us this world, the one who made us, the one who allows us to draw our next breath. And we hate to be reminded of that. Now, Jesus was warning these people that, and prophesying that the purposes of God would move away from these religious leaders and given to others. The Gentiles would come in and, and be brought into the focus of God's saving work, and, and God would bypass the Jews for a time at least. But, but he goes on to, to make the point that he is the one with whom all people must ultimately reckon. He calls himself the cornerstone or the, the capstone, depending on the translation. It's not actually clear which stone it is in mind. It might be the chief cornerstone, the one that the builders were looking around for the proper foundation stone to start the whole building off, and they, 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 they reject this stone, and, and then they realize after looking everywhere else that this is actually the one that they really needed. Or, or, or it's the one that is set to the side and, and they, come, they can't find a use for it. And then they come to the end of the building and they realize it's the capstone. It's the one that fits into the very top of the building and holds the whole thing together. Either way, it's saying the same. It, the, the crucial stone, the crucial piece of the jigsaw is overlooked by men, but ultimately declared to be crucial 
by God. You see, Jesus had been rejected by these Jews very ultimately, very shortly. The ultimate acts of rejection would take place as they nailed him to the cross. But the point was that though they had rejected him, God was saying he is absolutely crucial. He is the one in whom all things hold together. He is the one on whom you must build your life. And one day he will be revealed to all people as that. You see what a remarkable claim Jesus is making. We, we either recognize Jesus for whom he is, or he is our downfall. Look at verse 44. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. He's saying, Ignoring God's authority is futile. Judgment will come. Don't stumble over him. Otherwise, he'll crush you. Rather, build your life on him. See him as the essential piece that perhaps is missing. God's authority must be submitted to. God's authority must not be resisted. The tragedy is here that these people didn't heed the warning. You notice in verse 45, it says, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew he was talking about them. They knew that they were in the story. They were the tenants, and yet what did they do? They didn't change their minds. No, it says, verse 46, they, they looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd. They're doing exactly what the tenants in the parable did, knowing who he is, but not bowing to God's authority. And you wonder, don't you, what is God's response going to be for people like that who stood in front of Jesus, who understood his claims, and yet who hardened their hearts even more? And yet how marvelous it is that all of this happens when Jesus is on his way to the cross, because he's doing all of this so that we might believe. He is laying down his life for people who are like that first son, who perhaps initially say, oh, this is not for me, but then who change their mind in regard to him. That's the question for us, isn't it? Have we changed our mind in regard to Jesus? Maybe we said for a while, oh, he's not for me. But then we realize he's the one that we really need. You know, Thursday week ago, I was really thrilled to find Bunyan's grave. You may think I'm the weirdest person in the whole world that I go to London and end up in a graveyard. You know, I'd walked for a couple of hours, got off the tube early, gone to Covent Garden. The place was bunged. It was a hot day. And I'd walked through the theater district, perhaps some of the best entertainment available anywhere in the world. I walked down Fleet Street, past these great offices of the papers that are in our shops every day, of the organizations that control the media, past Bush House, the BBC. I'd come uh, through the legal district, past the Old Bailey and the Royal Courts of Justice, past solicitors with some of the best legal minds, perhaps, in the world. And then I stumbled across Bunyan's grave, and the images of Christian with a burden on his back and is set free from his burden at the cross. 
And I thought, and this is really it. This is what the world needs. This is what, if we have all of the other stuff and we do not have Jesus, we've missed it all. So the question is, are we submitting to God's authority today by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he is the authority by which we need to live, not by any other. Let's pray together. Lord, we recognize today that there are so many voices that call us and so many places that our hearts easily turn to for, by which we might live our lives. But we pray, Lord, that you might humble us and help us to see that you are the one before whom we must bow, that you are the one who gives us life and breath and everything that you are the one who gives us Jesus. Help us to build our lives upon him. For we pray in Jesus' name.